Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast, part of the preaching ministry of Modern Baptist Church in East Texas. Extra Point provides helpful follow-up to Sunday's message, and specifically, it allows us to discuss some of the extra points from the message that we didn't have time to fully discuss on Sunday. And then to even answer questions that the listening audience may have, if you would like to submit a question, you can email us at extrapoint at moberly.org. My name is Paul Coleman. I'm the teaching pastor at Moberly, and today I'm joined by Jeffrey Davis, who serves as our campus pastor at our Marshall campus. Jeffrey, good to see you this morning. Let's get started. Good to see you too, Paul. Uh, man, another week in the sermon uh, series, Above Every Other. You started the sermon series uh, talking about how important it is uh, to know the names of God in order to, for us to know God in a personal way and uh, to deepen our relationship with God. And then this last week, you actually started your message by asking the question, how have you changed spiritually in the last four or five weeks? Um, or, or a variation of that question, maybe something about fear. How, how has fear changed in your life? And and um, I thought that was so pertinent. I just wanted to bring that up again for our listeners to be thinking about, because this is about transformation. We want to see people having um, uh, some tangible, you know, um, impact on their relationship with God. So I'm really happy to have just more conversation about this. Um, hey, remind us about this week's message, what we're going to talk about today, the two names of God. Yeah, we talked about the two names, one being El Shaddai, which is a compound of Elohim and Shaddai, which means almighty or overpower. Mm. I think for me, almighty is so overused, and, and that's that doesn't mean it doesn't have meaning, because it certainly does, but overpower to me communicates... The same thing as Almighty, but it just makes it more graphic for me. There's nothing that he cannot overpower. So El Shaddai is God who overpowers or God who is Almighty. And then Yahweh Rapha, which means God who heals. So these were the two that we talked about on Sunday. Awesome. So El Shaddai, obviously, you mentioned on Sunday, it gives us a little throwback uh, to yep. the 80s and Christian music and Amy Grant and the, ta- the song titled El Shaddai. Uh, we did actually go play it for our kids in the car the other day, uh, just so they would hear it again. And uh, it was it was really funny because uh, that's kind of a one and done song. I think, you know, nowadays you can kind of listen to it here and there. And then go, go another decade without listening to it and you'd be okay. But my son said right after it was over, play it again. <laughs> I said, that's okay. Let's find something else. <laughs> so let me ask you, had you, how many times have you heard that song? A lot, actually. Okay. And, and Jill and I were reminiscing because Jill and I both grew up at Moberly. And we had um, a young lady at the time who uh, uh, would she would regularly sing that song as her solo uh, during worship. I don't know if you remember this, but we both had that recollection from growing up and uh, hearing that song all through the '90s uh, here at Moberly, which is which is pretty fun. Uh, but then, of course, you know uh, if you listen to KVNE for the last three decades. Uh, we hear it a lot too, and so I, I don't know if they still play it, but uh, uh, but you know maybe so. Uh, but it was actually kind of fun to go back and listen to it. Uh, be honest with us how how much did you jam to that song growing up? It, was it on your rotation? Was it in your I, car? The only rotation I had was a cassette player, and I had a cassette of Amy Grant. I don't remember the name of the cassette, but I can tell you what the cover looked like. <laughs> and so. <laughs> I listened to that song a lot, and I I remember listening to it the first couple of times and not having any idea what it was talking about. El Shaddai, um, Adonai, it talks about Adonai in there. It even talks about El Elyon in there. Right. So I didn't know what any of that was, and and, it, and she said it, sang it so fast that uh-huh. I really didn't know what it even meant. You know, I knew it was Hebrew, but I didn't know what it meant. And I think I took out the little cassette jacket 
because they used to put all the lyrics in there. Right. And I looked up some of the names that she was talking about, and then it began to have meaning for me. But yeah, I used to jam to Amy Grant. We didn't have a lot of choices back in the day, and that was, <laughs> you know, I gave up for a period of time. I gave up all secular rock and roll and music when I got saved, and so... I was desperate to find anything that had a beat. Oh <laughs> to man, it. yeah, it was Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the idea where you got you got the idea for the sermon series, right? No, <laughs> it's not, not at all. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. It was so fun. Uh, even just seeing that coming up on the schedule, I started thinking about that song. That kind of stuff makes an impact on us. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, just thinking about uh, people on our staff who may not have ever heard of Amy Grant, and so. Before we get kind of deep into these names, let's play a superlative game. You know, in your high school yearbook, uh, you see these things, the most likely to succeed, you know, the most likely to be president, that kind of stuff. Okay, so who is the most likely on our staff, in your opinion, to have never heard of Amy Grant? Anyone under the age of 45, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, okay so, okay, so I'll be 35 this year, so I'm well into that category. That's true. You, you've, heard of her, you've heard of her, though. I don't know, maybe younger people, I guess. Uh, that would be an interesting question to know, because it has been a part of Christian culture. And like you said, as a child, you were exposed to that song. That kind of surprises me a little bit. And so I don't know who would—probably someone who's really young then, maybe someone who's 25 or younger, some of our younger folks or something. I don't know for sure who— I should do a poll sometime and ask that question. We'll do a poll. We'll do a poll. My <laughs> yeah. guess was going to be Lucas, who actually I think helps us with this podcast, and uh, he's our video guy here. He's yeah. very, very talented, uh, but young, and uh, I think he might be the guy. I'm not sure, though. I wonder about Nate. Could you know, be Nate. Nate's about 29 uh, yeah. or 30. I wonder if he's yeah. ever heard of it since yeah. he's in the music world. He is in the world. music world, yeah. We'll have he to might. ask him. Yeah. We'll have to find that out. Maybe this is a, a chance for our listening audience to send us some emails and, and uh, to extrapoint.mobberly.org and, and give them their input. Who, who do they know at Mobberly who's probably the least likely to ever have ever heard of <laughs> Amy Grant? Or maybe who's the biggest Amy Grant fan person on our staff? Maybe that would be a, a fun question. I will tell you this. Up. Scott Link is uh, has a connection to Amy Grant. There's uh, Scott was in in production, music production for a while way back, and uh, he helped with one of her albums way back. I can't remember which That's one. Awesome. It's on the wall of his office in there. Very cool. And I think he had a mullet during that time. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah, Scott Link, communication director. You gotta love it. That's awesome. Yeah. We got some really talented staff here, mm-hmm. and uh, I love I love we have the, this great environment. Hey, so let's talk about El Shaddai. You know, getting into the name and uh, the breakdown of the name, as some biblical scholars suggest El Shaddai is really a name that communicates God's sufficiency uh, versus His power, which you mentioned earlier that, that it could also be translated like overpower. Um, where does that come from? If you study uh, the name Shaddai or the, or the root of Shaddai, some people, some commentators, it's interesting, it's probably 50-50. Some commentators think that it came from shad, the word that means breast in Hebrew or in, in another language, actually. I forget the language it was, but that would have been you know, carried over into Hebrew. And the idea that it means breast, which would communicate that God is nurturing, um, like a mom you know, would feed his, her child, like mm-hmm. God nurtures his children. Hmm. And so that's where the idea... The interesting thing to me is really overpower encompasses the idea of, of sufficiency because if he's if he's the most powerful and he is being anywhere well then he certainly is able to nurture and supply and provide sufficiently for all of his children and anything that the world needs so certainly those ideas can work together to me just from my study it seems like to me that that there's a stronger emphasis 
when you see how the name El Shaddai is used in Scripture on his power. And, of course, they're, they're similar ideas. So I think they're, they're both, uh, both could be right, I suppose. I just like that, it, that, that when you think of him as overpower, it makes sense in the passages that you read that it talks about him. That seems to be the essence. Like in the case of how he revealed himself to Abraham, you know, he's Abraham's 99 years old, still doesn't mm-hmm. have any kids, promised to be the father of many offspring. And so who could accomplish that? Who could ever accomplish this impossible promise? Only God, who That's can right. overpower a, a barren womb, who can overcome anything and overpower anything. So, and certainly he's supplied and is sufficient and those things too. So I don't think they're that different of ideas, but if you did your own study, you might find some commentators who were talking about God's sufficiency versus his power. Yeah. I think uh, my favorite part of this study over the last few weeks has been seeing those two sides. We normally think of two sides of the coin to God and his character, that he is omniscient, all-powerful, all these big ideas, sovereign, but that also he's personal and uh, and loving and caring in a way that only he can be, uh, in a way that only he can be if he also is the sovereign God. And so seeing those two concepts come together and work in conjunction with one another, um, I think it has really deepened my faith uh, in yeah, a way. Yeah, mine too. You know, talking about God being personal, um, and as I did some study this week, uh, we talked about how, and, and we, we've said this over and over again, that the names of God are really about knowing God in a personal way. Uh, unfortunately, Christians, it seems, have kind of relegated names of God or like some as specific as El Shaddai or this idea that God is powerful and almighty, uh, we kind of relegate God in that sense to just a relic on a shelf or something that we might sing about on Sundays or, uh, you know, even worse, maybe using a slang uh, slang kind of way in our conversations. But I don't even say it this way, you know, a lot of Christians live as if El Shaddai, God Almighty, is just someone to call upon when they need him, you know, as needed. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll go about our own lives in our own way, and then when God, you know, we need God, we're, He's there, right? We can grab Him, we can call on Him, we can use Him, that kind of thing, which is totally not uh, how our relationship with God works. And I saw that happen here as I studied this verse in Genesis uh, chapter 17, uh, the story of Abraham, because God introduces Himself as El Shaddai, but then gives Him the instruction while He's setting up this covenant um, that paints a pretty different picture. The English Standard Version translates that next phrase as, walk before me, while the Christian Standard Bible, which we used on Sunday, uh, says, live in my presence. And, uh, you know, the word there, before or presence, it really means, it carries this idea of being face to face. And so, now I think about being a guy, if I'm going to be in someone's presence or uh, be around somebody, uh, it really is kind of the side-by-side kind of thing. We always talk about this, how guys get to know each other side-by-side. We want to be playing games together. We want to be, you know, competing or anything like that. But there's this intimacy that's implied here. Then you get into a different level with someone in a relationship when you get face-to-face. And when you can really, you know... Uh, have a conversation and like when you look into someone's eyes, like you know, all these things that take your relationship to a deeper level. And that's the kind of relationship that God wanted with Abram and the same that he wants with us, uh, that he wants to be face to face with us. Uh, man, the implications are huge. God can't just be a third wheel in our lives. He's got to be the focus. And we think about what are we focused on? Is, is it him? Are we looking at his face? And it's a pretty interesting question. That was the first thing he said uh, to Abram, live in my presence. Uh, Of course, the second part of that is when he says, be blameless. 
Now, this idea literally starts in Genesis and is emphasized all the way to Revelation. And if you look it up in your concordance or something like that, you'll see the whole gamut of the Bible covered with this idea of blamelessness, which I think is interesting. And so I learned what this meant from you. We, I was on high school leadership team, uh, and uh, uh, gosh, uh, a couple decades ago now, yeah. uh, that must be it. And so, uh, but I learned this from you because it was part of your curriculum for how to be a leader, uh, to be blameless. And so uh, for a listener who's trying to be a spiritual leader, what steps can they take to become blameless? I think people have a lot of confusion about blamelessness. They think, well, I can't be blameless because I'm not perfect. So you could always blame me for a multitude of things. And we certainly, the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren, so he certainly blames us. And then we have to kind of go, you're right, I'm guilty of that. I did think that. I did do that. So we feel like blamelessness is almost one of those biblical ideas that's unattainable. So I just, I don't know what that means. And it's actually not. It's very practical. If I sin against you and I offend you and I know about it, I'm aware of it because the Holy Spirit convicted me or because you came and told me, you actually said, hey, what you said, that, that really offended me or that hurt me or whatever, then I have a responsibility once I'm aware of it to do something about it. Jesus said, if you're presenting your offering and they realize that he doesn't say you have something against your brother, they realize that your brother has something against you, hmm. whether you think they're right or not. If you realize there's something between you and another person, leave your offering and go make it right with them. Go be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. And so the idea of being blameless is simply taking care of your sin in the appropriate way when you sin. We talked about your public life, your private life, and your secret life. And when you when you sin against some, when you sin in public, and I talked about this in Sunday's message, you know, churches used to allow people to come forward. It's been many years now, but Baptist churches especially come forward at the end of a service and be willing to publicly repent of a sin. They might call it rededication, or they might give the person the microphone and say, "What would you like to say to everyone?" And then I've I've seen people get up and say, "Well, I haven't lived my life before the Lord. I haven't walked before the Lord, or I has I've been involved in some sinful things and things I shouldn't have been involved in." And I want to ask the church to forgive me. I, I want to do it differently going forward. So in that moment, they instantly have accountability because they have, they're have they asking everybody, they're inviting everybody into their relationship with God to say, if you see me do this again, come tell me. I want it to be different going forward. Mm -hmm. That's a really missing element, I think, in our churches today. People are so scared to confess or admit anything because they don't want to be the subject of gossip. We don't really mm -hmm. trust each other. So at some level, we think, I just keep it private. Well, there are sins that are private. There are sins that... Uh, that are not public to everyone's view. They're just individual. I sin against you, or you know, it's an individual. It's a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three or whatever it is. Well, I go to when, if I want to be blameless, I need to go to those people and ask those people to forgive me. I can't control whether they do or not, but at least if I come, I'll give you an example from my own life. One time we were on a, a mission trip, and we had pulled up to stop. Uh, to get some supper or something. And the kids were yelling, yelling. I was going to give them some instruction. And I mean, this, unfortunately, I did this quite a bit and I had to go apologize to people for it. But I had, you know, I'm just frustrated. I've been driving all day, listening to noise all day, and I would want to get their attention. And there'd be some kid just back there going crazy, you know, ready to get out of the van, you know. And, and I'd lose my temper and I would just start yelling, you know, listen to me, you kids, listen to me, whatever I would say. You probably saw that a few times. And on a and those were, you know, everyone on that vehicle saw that. So usually I would let everybody leave, and then I would sit there and go, oh, gosh, I didn't handle that well at all. And the Holy Spirit would just convict me. So I'd first go find the kid that I grabbed out in front of everybody, and I would say to them, I was trying to get your attention, but I did not handle that right. 
so I need you to, would you please forgive me? I'm going to ask you, would you forgive me? And I think they always, always did. Uh, and then we got back on the van. I would say, guys, before we left to go get supper, uh, you know, I lost my temper and I didn't handle that well. And I don't want you to think that's okay for me to do that just because I'm in charge of the trip. So I'm going to ask you. I already asked so-and-so to forgive me, and he and I are in a good place now. But I'm going to ask you all to forgive me, too. Would you forgive me? You know, now I did, the, the thing about that is when you ask people to forgive you and you make it, try to make it right with them, then they no longer in their heart can blame you. They, mm-hmm. they know you're guilty of that, but mm-hmm. you're not acting like you didn't do anything wrong. You're owning it. So in the yep. moment you own it, you become blameless again yep. because they go, well, I can't cast blame on them. I can blame them as long as they're unwilling to deal with it. But once they're willing to deal with it, I might try to still blame them, but I'm not right to do that. I have to let that go. If God's forgiven me, I have to be willing to forgive them, whether I feel it, like it, whatever the case may be, because God forgives me. So it's really the idea of taking care of your your sins and your offenses when you commit them and when you're aware of them. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, uh, but just like forgiveness and recognizing that when when we sin to someone else that, you know, they against someone else, they probably feel the same way God feels when we sin against God. Yeah. And uh, so that ought to lead to uh, conversations about forgiveness. But it is a good reminder, too, and it's a picture of what God does for us, that to be blameless before God while we absolutely know we're guilty is yeah. amazing. It is. To think that to he would... Clean. Yeah, he would want to... <laughs> and like First John talks about, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness... That's an that's unbelievable. It's the and, best feeling to know yeah. that I'm not hiding anything from God, and and if He lays His finger on something, I'm absolutely going to go deal with it. Yes, I mean, yeah, that's the best way to live. The absolutely. opposite of that is you live with shame and guilt and fear, and all kinds of negative things that that the, your enemy wants for you, but that God doesn't want for you. And it's interesting that this idea, which encompasses what you're talking about right now, is in the Old Testament, and one of the criticisms that I think Christians face about God from our culture is especially that the Old Testament God, they'll say something like that, is, uh, you know, is like domineering and uh, that put his thumb down and, you know, it's all about judgment. But here we see him talking to Abram to be blameless. And, and, you know, with at first glance, it looks like he has high expectations for Abram. But what it really means is to allow him to forgive him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there's this like intimacy there and this right. this there care anything between and this us. Love. That's right. That's Walk right. before me and be blameless. In other words, stay before me. Don't let your sin drive you away from me. Yes. Yeah. They go together for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, the second name of God we talked about this week is Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. Now, this is a, a thing that we we should talk about because if you are not sick right now, you know someone who is. And I think the the more into ministry I get, I realize that the more difficult scenarios that families are going through that I never understood before. Uh, and so, you know, trying to um, just help families navigate that kind of stuff and even help Christians in our congregation navigate kind of this the, the overall question of why do bad things happen to good people or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. It seems like Exodus 15 kind of suggests when we talk about when God introduces himself as Yahweh Rapha, uh, you know, and he says that he'll inflict none of these diseases that the Egyptians had uh, from the plagues onto the Israelites. Is that the promise of a disease-free life for anyone who follows God? I've certainly heard that taught. I don't believe that's correct. I think the context, if you read it closely, he's just saying he's promising the Israelites, I won't do to you 
what I had to do to Egypt to get their attention. If you walk before me blameless and you walk, live in my presence and you keep my commands and all the things I've put before you, if you love me supremely, then you don't have to worry about me judging you in that way. That doesn't mean that we'll never get sick, though. We live in a fallen world. Creation is fallen, the Bible says. And so there is imperfection, um, disease, uh, both physically and mental disease, and there's just our bodies, our flesh, they're weak, Jesus said, we they fail us. And, you know, even with this whole COVID-19, there there is a threat to us physically sometimes in our world. And that's a scary thing because it's one of these things we can't control. We're not in control of it. But the Bible doesn't teach anywhere. Now, I know people will quote, and I, I use this verse Sunday, Psalm 103.3, that states, He heals all your diseases I know that some people would say, well, that means God doesn't ever want you to be sick. So if you're sick, you're out of God's will, or you don't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith, then you could be well. But in every instance when Jesus healed somebody in the New Testament, the faith was about who he was. It wasn't It wasn't this magic pill that you just say, well, if you just believe you'll get well, you'll get well. That's not exactly the idea. Of, that's not at all the idea of faith in the New Testament. Jesus would heal people because he, they demonstrated that they realized and recognized he was who he said he was, right. Savior of the world, Messiah, God in the flesh. And when he saw that in people, he said, there's not a lot of faith in, in Israel, but when I see that in people, even people who aren't Israelites, I honor that mm-hmm. because it speaks of exactly why I'm here. I'm here to reveal God to you and show you who God is. So he, he would honor that by healing people sometimes, and I think he still uses healing uh, to glorify himself, you know, because people find themselves in situations where they don't have any control and they then suddenly get better. And sometimes God uses medicines and doctors, certainly. Sometimes he just heals people. You, right. you probably everyone listening to this knows stories of someone that was prayed over or, you know, they prayed for themselves and God healed them, you know, and mm-hmm. and there was no medicine involved. There was no doctor involved necessarily. Those Those are not bad things. But I mean, there are times that God physically just heals people. And God can get the glory either way, whether it's through medicine, doctors, or just miraculously healing somebody. So we always pray for that. We always pray, God, you don't have to, you can just think this into happening. It'll happen. We know you're El Elyon. You're the most high. You're the overpower. You're El Shaddai. We know you can do that. And you're Jehovah Rapha. You heal and restore and repair. So you made the human body. You can certainly repair it in a heartbeat. You understand intimately how it works. And even when we don't. So that's the idea that I don't. I think it's a confusing thing to think that people would think, well, God never wants me to be sick. It's never God's will for me to be sick. I mean, God doesn't—I think God uses sickness in our life. And certainly, if you look at Job's life, I mean, he had boils. I mean, you know, that's that's a terrible thing. So God did use that in his life, though. That wasn't the end of his story. So, I mean, people struggle a lot with cancer and things like that. And I think that when you face those things, you certainly pray for healing. You want God to heal you. But to me, the prayer of faith is, your will be done, Lord, even if you don't heal me. My faith is not based on whether you heal me or not. My faith is in you. So you can either use this for something, which oftentimes is what happens. He uses it for greater good and greater glory. And I think it's a thing he trusts people with sometimes to say, how are you going to do with this? You know, are you going to trust me? It's a test, kind of. Yeah. To realize it's not the end of your story. It kind of falls under this idea that with because of faith, uh, specifically in Jesus, it changes our perspective on our story altogether. That even this life 
is not the end of our story. Right. Whichever way it goes, uh, it's not the end. And so it's about kind of expanding our perspective to an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like to use the analogy sometimes of when you're on a roller coaster, which a lot of times when you're going through sickness feels like a roller coaster, that sometimes you get down into one of the valleys on the roller coaster and all you see is the next mountain in front of you and you don't really know uh, what's going to happen. But And you're maybe a little scared, a little nervous. But then when you get to the top, even though it's kind of exhilarating and you know know, you're about to get this downhill slide, you can also look out and you can actually see like past the park. (laughs) You can see your parking lot. You can sometimes, if Mm -hmm. you're lucky, you can spot your car. And then you realize like, I'm going to get in my car after this. I'm going to go home after this. There's so much more than just this moment. Mm. And and it just changes your perspective. It's a good analogy. If we change our perspective on life and think more of an eternal way, I think it'll help us even understand Jehovah Rapha in a new way, uh, that it's not always just about did he heal or not heal. Physically. Physically. Which leads to the, you know, maybe even the the last question for today, because it is more than physical healing. Jehovah Rapha also, as you noted, especially from Psalm 103.3 states, he heals all your diseases. You, You know, you said it's about also spiritual and emotional healing. I think about Psalm 3, uh, which says that he is the lifter of our head, you know, and, yeah. and he, he, he picks us up. And um, that is Jehovah Rapha, um, you know, epitomized. And so what's something that in a practical, let's just jump all the way to practical in this, someone uh, who knows someone, a listener who knows someone, maybe in their connect group, uh, maybe someone who they're just friends with, maybe someone who needs the Lord, uh, what would you say that they could say to someone who's struggling with emotional issues like depression? It's so easy, and this has always been close to my life. I've had depression. I haven't personally had depression, but I've been close to people pretty much all my life. My dad struggled with it all of my growing up and even till he died when I was an adult uh, with depression. And I got an up-close and personal look at it. I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how I could look at my dad, and he physically looked fine to me. He did. He wasn't physically sick looking, but he couldn't operate. He couldn't function. And it, for my dad, because he was bipolar, the doctor would describe it as a as a very physiological thing. I mean, there was a part of his brain that would just shut off, and his body wouldn't make serotonin, and then he would be depressed. And that might last three years, and then for no explained reason, overnight, the gate might open, and he'd get too much serotonin, and he would be like someone who's on drugs, you know, on speed or just talk 90 miles an hour and go 90, go 90 miles, never sleep and be that way for, usually it lasted four or five months at the longest, but it was impossible to live with him when he was like that, as you can mm-hmm. imagine. And he would always think he'd been healed. He'd prayed for healing and prayed for healing. He had people pray over him. He sought doctor's help and he took medicine. There weren't nearly as many medicines back then as there are now. And he struggled with that his whole life. And he actually said to me one time, when after I'd gotten saved, he asked me the question. He said, what do you think about this idea that if I just had enough faith, God would heal me of this depression? And I said, I think it's not true. <laughs> I said, what do you think about it? And he said, don't you think if that's all it took that I would have faith? <laughs> don't you think I want to be made well? And I was like, yeah, I do. So for me, that's a very personal thing. But I, if, if you know somebody who's struggling with depression, don't, you, your expectation has to change of them. You, you shouldn't expect them to just snap out of it. You shouldn't expect them to just get over it. 
because they don't have control over that part of it. It could be a physiological thing. It could be brought on. Well, it's always a physiological thing. It could be brought on by emotions. It could be brought on by hurts, past hurts in their life. And oftentimes, that's usually the trigger behind it is there's some maybe abuse or neglect or just hurt that never got resolved. And as a form of self-protection, their body just shut that down, maybe shut the memory of that down or whatever. And 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 now because that, I had a, a psychiatrist actually explain to me one time that depression is like the result of stuffing emotion down inside of yourself. You know, if you let emotion out, whatever it is, it's healthy. If you write about it, if you talk about it, if you get it out, it's healthy. But if you repress it, if you push it down, push it, eventually you're packing in a time bomb and eventually it's going to go off in your body and cause physiological things in you. And that could be depression or anxiety or a number of things, unrealistic fears, you know, uh, that you might have about the world around you. And that can lead then to the crazy thing about it is once you begin to feel depressed, it's a spiral. It can lead to then wrong thinking. It affects the way you think and how you perceive things. You talked about perspective, the roller coaster idea. It messes your perspective up, and then it, hmm. it ultimately may interfere with your your believing true things about God. And so, man, the enemy can use it in our lives. So I would say for anybody who knows somebody, or if you're struggling with depression, the best thing you can do is talk to somebody. The worst thing you can do is keep it inside. You may feel like you're the only one who struggles with this, and you're not. It's a it's a widespread issue in our culture. And the good thing about that is there are a lot of trained counselors who know how to help people with it. So Hope Road for us at Moberly is a great resource. We have many trained, licensed professional counselors who are Christians. They're not coming at it, what we call biblical counseling. They're not just using the Bible. They're using their experience from their secular education. But because they're believers, they integrate faith into that. And to me, that's a great approach. And so if you're struggling with that, I would just tell someone, to make an appointment with someone at Hope Road, and and uh, you can find that by going to our website. There's a link there. And make an appointment, come sit down with, it, with somebody and talk to them about that. You may think, no, nobody can help me, and that's part of that, that wrong perspective that you begin to develop when you feel depressed or you've been depressed for a while. You may think no one can help me, but almost always it helps to talk to somebody and just uh, work that out. And then there may be some medications you need to be on, even temporarily, to, to put your body back into a balanced state. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. And, man, it's amazing to think about that. I I never think about how much serotonin is running through my body at any one hmm. time. I don't do anything to increase it or decrease it <laughs> intentionally. So, And yet I stay pretty even all of my life most of the yeah. time. I, it's not even anything I think about or control necessarily. And our bodies are so amazing. I don't know how anybody couldn't believe that there's a creator when they study the human body. It is amazing, amazing. And so... For people who struggle with depression, some of those systems are being interrupted or upset, and they probably would benefit. Now, people feel the stigma about medicating or getting on medication, but honestly, when you begin to feel differently, then you begin to think differently. It's like climbing right back up out of the spiral and getting mm-hmm. to a place of normalcy. And you might find, in some people's cases, like my dad's, you need to be on medication for the rest of your life. Maybe your body, because your body's part of fallen creation, just doesn't work right. People who are diabetic don't feel bad about taking insulin. People who <laughs> I have high blood pressure. People who have blood pressure don't feel bad about taking blood pressure medicine. So you shouldn't feel bad about taking medication that helps you level out things in your life that keep you feeling even and keep you from feeling depressed. And so that's a kind of a simplistic description of it, but really get help. Don't don't wallow in it, and if you know someone, encourage them in that way. And even offer to go with them. You can't go into the session with them, but offer them to take them to the counseling center. Just be a friend that shoulders that with them, is willing to come alongside of them 
and really take the shame out of it because that's mm. what often the enemy uses in Christians' lives is think, well, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have depression. I shouldn't be struggling with this. Nope. You can fall into the same things anybody else can if you if the certain you know things are going on in your life. So just come alongside of somebody and help take the shame out of that. That's yeah. a huge thing to break. So how does the name Jehovah Rapha know about God? How does that help someone who may be struggling in those uh, those situations, whether it is emotional or physical, uh, someone who's hurting? How does knowing that God is Jehovah Rapha really help them? To know first that He has the power to affect change. And <clears throat> again, that's not a guarantee that he will, but to know that he can, to me, gives me a sense of confidence to say, well, I have to ultimately commit this to you, Lord, and then quit worrying about it. I, it doesn't help me to worry about it. So there's a sense of peace that comes from that. That's very simplistic. I mean, something like depression you may struggle with and struggle with and struggle with, but again, God uses counselors in our lives. He uses pastors, he uses ministers, other friends. And sometimes we think, well, why isn't God helping me? And there are people all around us trying mm. to help us. <laughs> and we don't recognize that as God sending them to help us. Yeah. That's part of his care and love and even attempt to heal us is wow. to send people to us that maybe have a little more understanding, a little more knowledge, or just don't know any of that, just have a caring heart and want to say, I want to be there for you, and I'm not going to abandon you. Because hopelessness comes from isolation, a sense that nobody understands me, nobody can help me. So God knows every part of your body and, and knows intimately how you're made, and He can. I love the word repair. I'm a man. I get. Mm -hmm. I like to fix stuff, and I love that idea that God knows how to go and, and just touch certain things or speak to certain things and put them right, wow. put them the way they're supposed to be, yeah. make them work the way He designed them to be. And again, it doesn't mean it always happens like that, but... You know, we think God's going to heal us in a certain way sometimes, and it doesn't always come about like that. And sometimes we know people that suffer physically all of their lives with some debilitating thing, but spiritually are in a great place. And so they've learned to depend on God, and he's, he's brought spiritual healing into their life and maybe even emotional healing. Maybe they never, never brought physical healing, but it's like they've, they've learned, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, we don't know what that was, but... They've learned from that to be dependent on God. So they would even say at some point, it's been a good thing in my life. Even though I wouldn't wish it on anybody, God's used it for good. He changes our perspective, yeah, for sure. We hope this podcast has been helpful for you as you lead your connect group, your discipleship group, or in your own personal study of God's Word. For more information on the content of any of our podcasts, email us at extrapoint at moberly.org. For more information about Moberly Baptist Church, go to moberly.org. And as always, tune in next week for another episode of the Extra Point Podcast.